Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin today's show with a breakdown of all we know and what we expect as Donald Trump heads to New York City to get arrested, which will take place on Tuesday, and then he will get mugshotted, and he will then fly back to Mar-a-Lago in Florida and make a statement from there, we're told, and he might kick off a big campaign swing. We get into all the details, everything we know is in the opening. Uh, Then we spend a lot of time on the latest developments in the trans culture wars that are taking place, plus more headlines in the opening of the broadcast. Our guest today is attack survival expert Jonathan Gilliam, who evaluates the failings and successes of the responses to the trans Nashville mass murder that took place, and he shares what he expects for New York this week. He was in New York law enforcement for a while, so he knows a lot about this stuff, and he breaks it all down for us. Let's get into it. We are going to see, in all likelihood, the arrest of Donald Trump tomorrow. It's a scheduled thing. He will apparently travel to New York today, Monday, as we are recording the show live or broadcasting the show live, better way of putting it. And uh, he'll stay in Trump Tower overnight at his old stomping grounds over there where he hasn't spent a lot of time of late. And then he will uh, show up at the courthouse and get booked and he will get fingerprinted and he might get handcuffed and he will definitely get a mugshot that seems to be pretty Hard to avoid, and it's just hard to see how that doesn't become one of the most iconic photos in world history. I mean, I was trying to think of what are the what are the most iconic photos, and, and this has got to be up there. I mean, there's, you know, the the Tiananmen Square massacre, the Beatles Abbey Road cover. I mean, what, what are the most famous photos ever? Like we should all, all look that up collectively. Uh, this will probably go down there in that, uh, and uh, it will instantly, instantly boost Donald Trump's chances of becoming the Republican nominee, and maybe even, maybe, maybe win the general election. I, I'm very convinced the Democrats uh, take here, which people have caught on to, which I was over a year, maybe two years ahead. I think of a lot of people have been saying this, uh, that the goal for Democrats is to get Donald Trump nominated and make him as weak of a candidate as possible. Uh, and it seems like that's becoming more and more of a common opinion. Um, as usual, you know, we, we don't care about credit on the show. It's just a, it's an honor just to know that people are copying us after a very long time. Um, but that will be what goes on, and it should be a pretty stunning moment. Um, depending on how stunning, um, I might do extra shows this week. Um, I, I'm tentatively planning on being here on Thursday, but if things uh, get pretty wacky tomorrow, I'll uh, make sure to show up on Wednesday as well. Um, so it is a uh, it is a, the, also noteworthy what could happen next. The Manhattan judge is likely going to put a gag order on Donald Trump, a gag order. Uh, in this case, would be a, according to some legal scholars, an unprecedented step to silence a presidential candidate. I guess that makes sense. Uh, A source told the Daily Mail, Trump legal team now thinks the Manhattan judge take the unprecedented step of silencing the presidential frontrunner with an unconstitutional gag order tomorrow. Trump legal team is considering adding a First Amendment lawyer to the effort to combat this and will fight it all the way. Trump campaign spokesman Stephen Chung, Paul Walrush, first of Breitbart, said 
that uh, the news about possible gag order uh, was uh, outrageous and that President Trump stands for transparency and for our American Constitution and the intent to prevent him, leading candidate for president, from exercising his First Amendment right is tyrannical. Th- is a tyrannical third world country move, which further proves that this is nothing more than the political witch hunt, utilizing a weaponized justice system. It's like I wrote the statement, and it's like literally even my favorite preferred <laughs> nomenclature. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so Trump's SPAC, which has true social in it, surged 10%. Good for him. Make some money in all this. He will make a lot of money during this stuff. I mean, the fundraising should be unbelievable. Uh, the campaign raised $4 million in the 24 hours after the indictment. Uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's a wonder that people have any money left after all the money Trump has brought in over the years. But yes, he's uh, he is uh, going to continue to get endorsements because of this. Jim Banks is the latest who's endorsed President Trump. Um. And as of now, the sort of snap polls following this have suggested that this does, of course, boost Trump in the primary election, but also thus far in the general election. Now, we'll see how that goes as time goes on. I think immediately you're going to see a big surge for Trump. Um, I spoke to a few people about what they thought about this over the weekend, and it was pretty much what we saw in the callers uh, on Friday where there's probably a, a more enthusiasm for Trump. Some people really fired up, like they want to walk around town in MAGA hats now um, after not wanting to do that for years. And uh, uh, others starting to feel like, oh, this is just such a burnout. I'm going to get so, so fatigued over this. I want to talk about other stuff. But overall, it seems like a definite net positive for Trump, which is pretty much uh, my take. Um, so that will all go down tomorrow and we'll have breaking coverage for you at Patriot, of course, and at Breitbart.com. Um, we will give you all the latest, but uh, I'm looking at that mugshot. That, that could be a huge moment. It might be the, 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 one of the things about the imagery of it, it could just shake, shake everything up. Um, like wants to see a former president who's currently the front runner for president, at least on one political party to have him a, a you know go through that is uh, it shows it shows a level of fear and desperation i think to the common person that could be pretty inspiring uh and that's what i'm uh, i'm i'm hoping is the case to be honest with you i'm hoping it's a net positive i'm skeptical that the left is in front of us and they think that this is going to work for them uh but the you know you can always hope can always help. And I'm looking forward just, it could be a really crazy moment when that image comes out. Um, Ron DeSantis allies in Florida are introducing the repeal of the state's resigned to run law. Uh, this is something that we've been waiting for for a long time. And why they haven't done it to this point, I think uh, you can add that on to uh, the points I've been trying to make about how Ron DeSantis has been a horrific presidential candidate as a fake presidential candidate. Um, though I think the best governor in the country, and he's got a lot of competition. There's a lot of amazing governors currently, actually, right now. Uh, a lot of doing a really, really great job, and he still has distinguished himself. And yet his fake presidential campaign has been absolutely beyond irritating for me all year. Uh, as you guys have heard the show, have uh, heard me say that numerous times. Um, and finally, there, uh, Florida's in their legislative session, and they've got a rule where you can't run and be governor, uh, and it's... The, it makes some sense because if you elect someone in the state, then you don't really want to pay their salary to run for office. Um, and so, you know, him running around the country, running nationally, and then not, you know, getting a paycheck from the state 
um, is uh, optically not a great look. But it's very clear he's running. Uh, all the donors want him to run, and he's losing a bunch of weight, which is always a sign he's running. And um, now he's trying to make it legally so that he can run. Um, the, this should have been done a while ago. This should have been more clear to people that this is happening, but it is and finally happening, it appears. And uh, he, all the polls, he's trending in the wrong direction, but still a strong candidate. So it's a, probably further ahead than Donald Trump was um, at this point in the 2016 race. So you should always use that as a benchmark because Trump, recall that Trump kind of came, he won a, almost every major national poll, but at the start of the race, you know, maybe he was at like 5% in the polls. It was the media witch hunt of him after he came down the escalator and um, said that they're not sending their best from south of the border. They're sending the rapists and murderers. Uh, and and uh, not to mention other people as well. But that was when the media uh, lying about that, about what he said in his opening statement, engendered such sympathy from the right. And it shook up the conversation in such a positive way. He serves the top of the pack and then stayed there the whole time. Um, the the uh, a fun trivia question is the only national poll I recall where he did not win. There's one poll where Ben Carson won. Um, okay. Um, Asa Hutchinson announced that he's going to run, the former uh, governor of Arkansas, and he announced it on ABC's This Week. If that is not evidence that Asa Hutchinson will not be the GOP nominee, then uh, I have nothing else to offer you. So to announce you're running on ABC's This Week is a move that might have made sense for a Republican in the 90s or the 80s. Uh, I, I don't think in even in this millennia, millennium, millennium, I don't know if that would have resonated with Republican conservative voters. So it's the that's not how you do it. Um, Rick Grinnell has called on all Republican candidates to drop out of the race and endorse Donald Trump after the indictment. I totally understand this this point. I think it's pretty, Grinnell is a pretty incredible political instincts, I have to say. He's uh, one of the people who, who gets it. Um, it's a very subtle thing when you are very deeply committed to an ideology. He's very ide ideologically MAGA, and you can tell that that's sort of what gets him out of the bed in the morning. Uh, but he's also pretty clever how he gets that message out there. Um, I think this is very clever because there's, a, in a way, it's absurd, but in a way, it's not absurd because Trump's way ahead. Um, this is a witch hunt. As we discussed in great detail on Friday's show, Trump has become a symbol. And given all that, shouldn't everyone just clear out and let him run? You can see the case, right? Even those of you who don't intend to vote for Trump. You have to understand that that's a pretty compelling way of getting the message out. Um, so that's what he's done. And I think that, um, you know, that's not going to happen. I think, you know, as we saw, Asa so, so there's a new candidate. It is an additional candidate from uh, since he said that. But I think it's an interesting way to get people to conceptualize what's really going on here. Um, Joe Manchin won't say if he'll run for president or if he'd run as a Democrat if he ran. So he's asked about this on Meet the Press. Um, I don't know why he would run for president. I don't know. I mean, I guess because he would have a hard time winning a Democrat primary. He would not win a Republican primary um, as a lifelong Democrat. He's, he's too conservative to win a Democrat primary, and he likes Cole too much because so much of the Democrat voter base is doctrinaire, religiously environmentalist. 
So if he ran third party, he couldn't win. And he's one of the most powerful people in the world in from his vantage point in the Senate. So yet he hasn't dismissed it. You never know because these people are, are just such egomaniacs. I met Senator Manchin. He's famously the only Democrat senator who's been on this this show. Um, and he seems like a pretty reasonable guy. He seems savvy enough to know not to do that. But who knows? But, you know, you get some attention. You get a mention on this show um, because he just simply refused to say, to say yes. Uh, leftists are holding rallies to celebrate the Trump indictment. The gloating online was, of course, as you could expect, was people saying happy indictment day, a lot of memes, the you know, people celebrating Alvin Bragg saying thank you to him, memes of you know, Lady Liberty doing backflips and somersaults. Uh, we documented some of the gloating that took place online from all of your favorite celebrities. You can go to Breitbart.com, but uh, people don't let you down. They, they, they don't. People are who are who they say they are online. It's one of the things that's sort of amazing online is that a lot of these celebrities who in yesteryear would have benefited from a lower public profile, uh, would have benefited not from um, a, a barfing out whatever idiotic thought pops in their mind. And yet that is exactly what we witness day in and day out. And I don't know if it's career enhancements for some of them, but some of them it probably is. Some of them probably helps them get work, which is why Hollywood is in such a weak weak position. Um, Trump attorney Joe Tacopina said on Sunday that if Trump uh, were not running for president, he would not have been indicted. I mentioned this take because I think this is true. I think that this is something that I think people should be confronted with, which is that if he was not president, would he be indicted? That's the big question. And if the answer is no, then why are we indicting him? And what does that say about our country? And what does that say about the Democrat Party? What does it say about this scheme that George Soros has put together to buy DA seats. What does this say about all these celebrities who are gloating about this? It shows you that they believe politics is above all else, including national principles, including justice, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, e pluribus unum, and God we trust, First Amendment, Second Amendment, all the great stuff that make America a great place, all take a back seat to what is most politically expedient today. And not even that, because who's to say this won't backfire? I mean, I predict the Democrats know what they're doing here. Uh, but what if they don't? What if this really does push Trump into the winner's circle in 2024? Um, then it literally all of this would have been just to make the left feel good for a few minutes and not talk about Joe Biden and the problems in the country for a few minutes. It could be end up being a masturbatory exercise in the end. Um, Jim Jordan asks a obvious but important question. Is Alvin Bragg investigating Hunter Biden's anonymous art sales in New York City? Hunter was spot, spotted over the weekend in another art gallery bagging cash. Truly one of the brilliant schemes of modern times where he is just grifting the public in plain sight. You can, you can get anonymous six-figure art sales where uh, all sorts of people, foreign entities can buy influence within Biden world. Former Attorney General Bill Barr said the Trump indictment is an abomination and it makes us look like a banana republic, right on the money. And he, he said Trump should not testify because he lacks self-control, though. 
So uh, Bill Barr is a very bright guy. Uh, I know he's not a favorite of much of you in the audience, and for good reason, but uh, the, those are both good takes. It does make us like a banana republic. It does remind you of the third world where people are constantly indict people and arrest people, and then those people become president. And then former presidents get arrested, then they run again and become president again. And um, he, but he does say Trump lacks self-control, so he shouldn't testify. That is also probably, probably safer if Trump doesn't testify. Because Trump does say, he, he's much more of a calculated speaker than people give him credit for um, publicly. I don't, I, I, Bill Barr's probably talked to him enough behind the scenes where maybe Trump has, I think he test drives ideas in private that might be informing Barr's take. But I do think overall, the Trump team will certainly have to consider how risky it is to put Trump on the stand because they, they don't want Trump to lose the trial also. This one seems like one where it should be very winnable. Even the Washington Post editorial board has uh, tested the broken clock axiom saying that the indictment is a poor test case for prosecuting a former president. Even the Washington Post is going, eh, I don't know about this one. Seems pretty weak. So he's supposed to give remarks, Trump is, after the arraignment, which is, will be Tuesday. Um, and he's supposed to go back to Mar-a-Lago and then he'll give them there. And then the rumor is he's going to hit the campaign trail, but there's deep con- security concerns because it's hard to say how the country's going to react. And I am... Um, understanding of that point. I'm I'm understanding of that because we don't really know. Um, This could go any of a number of directions because I think a lot of people, myself included, are pretty skeptical about, you know, given January the 6th, whether or not it makes sense to have really big demonstrations on the right. I think the left is, has been demonstrating a bit, especially in the wake of the Tennessee shooting. We'll talk more about that in a second. Um, and then uh, beyond that, there's also the concern that, you know, Antifa, the FBI, who else could be want to gin up the violence in order to target Trump world. Um, who's to say that might not happen either? So recall that I mentioned on Friday that Nancy Pelosi said that Trump is going to have to prove his innocence. Uh, she did get roasted for that pretty epically online, which I uh, found heartening. It seems like that one is, you wonder if there are any lines that can be crossed in the country. We say this in a week where a former president is about to get um, arrested for nothing. Like if, are there any lines? But apparently saying that in this country that you have to prove your innocence. Apparently that, that was a line that was crossed. So there was pretty universal condemnation of that. Um, those of you who are on the left and have often taught the basics about this country who might be listening. Uh, in this country, you're, you are innocent until proven guilty. So it is so one of the things that makes America a cool place. So even Nigel Farage jumped in on that. So people are jumping in from overseas to make in front of her. Um, speaking of the UK, Joe Biden is expected to turn down his invitation to the coronation of King Charles III. I, I don't know if I am, if I get that. Uh, does he have another hair plug appointment? Like, what is he doing? It's he's, why wouldn't he go to coronation? Um, this is supposed to be May the 6th, and it will be one of the biggest international news events of many of your lives. It will be a huge, huge deal. Um, that's why they take so long to do the coronation, is because 
becomes the 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 biggest the biggest most festive event. You know, one of them it'll be one of the biggest events of the century for any of you who might be um, getting the show in the UK. There are no SXM satellites over the UK, so you'd have to be downloading it online. So I appreciate that. Um, but I don't know why the Democrats would snub the British royal family, but they're 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 doing it. But they might include some sort of a delegation. They'll have a delegation of someone, but Biden might not go. So I'm not sure what's on his calendar then, but apparently too busy. So um, I'm seeing a lot of pushback on the left that George Soros did not back Alvin Bragg. I do not take the bait on that. That is that is so what he does is he sends money to nonprofits and those nonprofits stole the money out to Bragg. So he sent a million dollars or so to the Color of Change pack, which is a huge pack. And the intention was, everyone knew the intention was to give it to Bragg. So this is what happens online. The fact checkers do this technicality to try to bust us on this. So uh, a, a guy on PBS who I was not heard of. Oh, it's a girl. Laura Baron Lopez who is a White House correspondent for PBS, publicly funded news, has called an anti-Semitic attack to mention that Trump, um, I'm sorry, to mention that Bragg is backed by George Soros. Uh, this is what we are in for, for the rest of our lives, is that any legitimate attack, and she seems like a young person, so this is part of the, Nature of how we are, are how we're going to have to live with this next generation of millennials and Gen Z as millennials and Gen Z take over, take over the world. Um, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this stuff where any legitimate attack, anything that's effective to frame a debate, they're going to look at which grievance, like which culture can claim a grievance over it and try to dismiss the entirety of the argument based off of that. That is the nature of, this is how uh, James Lindsay, Professor James Lindsay, um, my friend who's on the show from time to time, who's one of the deepest thinkers, particularly on critical race theory and uh, uh, other types of uh, cultural Marxism. And it, his framing of critical race theory is, and he's written tomes on this, and he understands it at a deeply intellectual level that will blow your mind. He does sum it up, though, as basically you call anything racist until you get your way. And that's what they're test driving here. Just call it anti-Semitic. Because Soros has Jewish ancestry. So it's the, uh, if, if you're hearing that a guy pumping a million dollars into a DA race to get a partisan guy elected who then spends his time not on the actual criminals in New York City, but a non-criminal former president who lives in Florida, then you are living in absolute fantasy land. Joe Biden, meanwhile, this is going on, was commemorating the Transgender Day of Visibility, which was on Friday. He said the trans are made in the image of God and deserving of dignity. It's very noteworthy how favorable media about Joe Biden really act as though he is a deeply Catholic person. Um, it is said that he thought to join the cemetery after his wife and young daughter died in a car accident when he was in his late 20s. Um, and he has uh, still attends mass from time to time. 
the media frames him as, as Mr. Theologian, even though he's a pro-abortion guy. He's basically party-line Democrat politics, which is an affront to any religious person. And then now he's talking about the trans remain the image of God. Like We can't just stop with we tolerate them. This is the whole point of the extreme tolerance movement. We can't just tolerate the trans. We have to declare publicly that they're made in the image of God. Deserving of dignity. I mean, I, I guess on a technicality, everyone's made in the image of God, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe you theologians call in. But it just it's so in your face the way they're doing this especially days after a trans person confused about their ideology had shot up a school, a Christian school, a Christian school, Joe, and killed Christians specifically, including children. Uh, Elizabeth Warren said the Nashville shooting, our children die because of Republicans. Uh, We are really living in this ultra-tribal world now. Pun somewhat intended because of Focahontas, Elizabeth Warren, the fake American Indian. Uh, a term I'm seeing pop up that I think is fairly powerful, I'm going to consider adopting it on the show, I'm considering it, is the Rainbow Mafia. Caitlyn Jenner, of all people, said the radical Rainbow Mafia has hijacked LGBT people and they are domestic terrorists. Uh, it, it must be really interesting for people like Caitlyn Jenner. It must be really interesting for people who are rank and file, normal, lesbians, gays, etc., to watch these uh, lunatics who are trying to sexualize children because of a fetish get elevated in society. Transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney, who is a very weird man who cosplays as a woman, is now uh, has a Bud Light endorsement deal. Dylan Mulvaney was invited to the White House recently. This is one of the top online influencers grooming children to become trans, particularly on TikTok. And now Bud Light, uh, a a brand of American-made, cheap, fizzy yellow beer marketed at blue-collar people who a lot of times work with their hands and... Um, live on a budget for the most part, are now this sort of fake, glamorous woman who is actually a very weird, small man, is now on on the side of the beer cans. So, it's, wasn't Budweiser known as the king of beers? No, Bud Light, I guess, is a, I guess is a, the, the, the lighter spinoff, but Wow. This was one that came out on April 1st, and it, most people thought it was April Fool's Day. It was ones where I thought, oh, this is this is a joke, but it turned out this one was real. Did any of you see this that was an April Fool's? Because uh, I, I certainly did. Uh, I definitely put this story on hold. Like, Wait a minute. This can't be it. This can't be right. And then it was. And then it was. And I have to say, as a news person, I mention this just about every year. Um... Uh, producer Bill says Bud Light tastes horrible. I, I'm in agreement, but I'm afraid to say that on air because I'm sure there are many Bud Light drinkers. We have one of your favorite Breitbartians will only drink Bud Light. It's a shtick that he has. I'll tell you who it is. It's Boyle. Uh, Boyle will only drink Bud Light. It's part. Of, it's a shtick. Is that he doesn't want a Miller Light or Coors Light? Uh, I I I famously was more of a craft beer guy, but you put on weight pretty fast doing the craft beer. 
So you got to be got to be careful on that. Um, but yeah, I never I, I, I never got in the Bud Light. I'm sure some of you did. How do you feel, Bud Light drinkers? That now, uh, they, they it's interesting because the marketing says a lot about what the corporate world thinks of their own consumers. Um, I think of this quite a bit because if you ever watch ads on the Golf Channel, and it's really the only time I see commercials or I'm not sort of seeking them out online. Um, it, it, the, the Golf Channel, the ads make it seem like the average golf aficionado or golf hobbyist is an idiot. Like the ads just are catering towards incredibly dumb people who will buy products that will not help their golf game and they'll waste a bunch of money doing it. Uh, and it, every ad makes me feel like, wow, they think I'm really dumb. So apparently Anheuser-Busch thinks that, um, which is the owners of Budweiser, thinks that their consumers are really into small men who impersonate women, a.k.a. trans. Uh, just amazing, the President of the United States, who is a professed Catholic, almost a Catholic priest, according to himself, spending uh, doing the transgender day of visibility to six days after Christians murdered by a trans person. A judge blocked a Tennessee law aimed at protecting children from seeing drag shows. Court systems are, are troubling. It's the we have problems with them, but by and large in this country, they work out. And I'm getting increasingly disturbed by what's happening in some of them. Um, the biggest example, another one where I think a lot of you guys probably thought it was a um, April Fools, is that. Uh, conservative online influencer Douglas Douglas Mackey, we had his attorney on, uh, otherwise known as Ricky Vaughn online, was actually convicted of election interference because he tweeted out a meme saying, text Hillary to a certain number to vote online. You can vote by texting Hillary. Clearly a joke. And yet it was a jury convicted him, and now he faces a sentence of 10 years in prison. This has been going on since 2016, so he's basically been offline and having to fight this for full-time for a living for, you know, seven years, and now he could be going to jail for 10 years. Um, the lawyers in my life are optimistic this will get appealed and overturned, but that's a unanimous jury decision that he was guilty of election interference with, by posting a meme to text, text Hillary to vote. So the legal system gets ruined, and that was a, a jury. Uh, that one had a jury. You look at Alvin Bragg, which is an elected position, mostly elected by Democrats, Manhattan DA. Um, you look at this Tennessee law blocked that protects kids from the trans fetishists trying to groom children. Uh, it's a it's disturbing. It's disturbing. That is a very. That would be a tough thing to correct. The only way to do it really is to win more elections, both at the top of the ticket and towards the bottom of the ticket. According to a report, CBS executives barred staff from reporting the Nashville shooter's trans identity. They don't even know how to handle this stuff because they know that if it, the shoe's on the other foot, if it was a Christian who shot up a bunch of trans, we'd never have a problem talking about it. But if it's a trans shooting a bunch of Christians, then all of a sudden they got to, you know, put, put new uh, things in place. 
new rules to make sure to protect the communities. Uh, why wasn't this person red flagged, by the way? AWR Hawkins is a piece on this for us at Breitbart News. We're going to have red flag laws, which people support. Like, why would this person be red flagged? Why wouldn't everyone with a, a big mental health issues, which is so much of the country, uh, why wouldn't everyone get red flagged? We're in so many meds right now, and now there's people getting shot up with testosterone because uh, someone convinced them they're a trans person. And aren't all these red flags? So if we're going to do it, let's do it. If we're going to do the red flag law, let's do it. So there's certain groups of people, you can do the math on which groups, who should get red flagged. So something to think about. Those of you pro-red flag law people, it's exactly what I was talking about when I came out very strongly against the red flag laws when they were first being discussed. A Wyoming Democrat, the minority whip in uh, Wyoming's house, I guess. Um, what is this person's name? Um, let me see. I want to make sure I get this right. Carly Provenza posted a meme of a grandmother holding a large weapon firearm. It's an AK-47 specifically to protect the trans. She looks very crazy. I will just say this from her picture. Katie Hobbs, the uh, undemocratically elected, say this because she didn't want to have debates. Carrie Lake, vote count there is very weird, as you guys know, in Arizona. Governor of Arizona had her spokesperson post a photo of a woman pointing guns which they interpreted as being pointed at transphobes. So uh, she resigned, which is good only in the sense that even though I'm generally negative in cancel culture, it's clearly uh, their rules. They made these rules. If you're on the right, you have to resign for something like that. So pointing guns at transphobes after a trans person shoots up Christian school. I mean, seems seems pretty obvious that that's crossing a line. Celebrity class never misses a chance to disappoint. Miley Cyrus donating to LGBTQ organization that targets children after a elementary school banned her Rainbow Land song. It is, she's a good test case, you know, country music family and, you know, becoming, changing her persona from wholesome Disney person to skanky normal pop star. Uh, clearly enhanced her career. Pop star Lizzo is selling chest binders and tucking thongs for gender non-conforming communities. It is uh, definitely one of those headlines where you're not sure if it's satire again. You're not sure if it's Babylon B. So pop star Lizzo, morbidly obese person, now selling ways for people to hide their masculinity or femininity as they go through their trans their trans uh transition that's the expression they use
rely on Jonathan Gilliam personally when I want to be a little safer and I'm feeling concerned about security issues. And I think he is just about the leading expert on this subject matter, at least in the talk radio space and probably one of the greatest experts on this in the country, period. Um, and he is a, a prime person to discuss what he's, what he's expecting for New York this week, as well as evaluating if schools are prepared for mass shootings, which of course they're not. A lot of information, a lot of good analysis from him. Let's hear it. Jonathan, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, of course, he fills in for me from time to time on the station, as well as the other hosts on SiriusXM. Um, Jonathan, really a lot I want to get to with you. But the first thought uh, is, the I think of you as, as sort of a, a New York guy. I don't know if you're there now. Um, but I'm getting a lot of weird feedback on my line. What is that about? I think I've solved it. Okay, I think I've solved it. Um, the What is your thoughts on the New York District Attorney spending time on Donald Trump, a Florida resident, for something he may or may not have done, which isn't really all that bad, a couple of, couple, like, seven, eight years ago. Is, is it stunning to you or you've seen it all, so maybe it's not? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, it's first of all, when you just look at the crime, you know, that's something that happens consistently, especially in politics, um, happens every day, all the, all the time uh, around this country, around the world, where somebody uh, pays somebody to shut their mouth because they, not because of something criminal, um, but because there's something inflammatory that they're saying, right? So they they pay them to shut their mouth. They even have a slush fund for this uh, in Congress that uh, is infamous uh, with taxpayer money that they use to do the same thing. So the the crime itself does not reach the level uh, of anything that should have been indictable. But you know you can indict people that need to understand what being indicted means it's a, a bunch of people that are forced it's like a jury it's like a giant jury and they sit around and they go through all these different cases there's been people who've been indicted when the majority of the the people uh that were just making the decision were asleep i mean it's that's why we always uh use the term you can indict a ham sandwich right. um because it's it, it's not based on uh it's not based on facts. Most times, it's the easiest way to get somebody into the system and get the get a process going against them. So it can be used very crooked uh, by by crooked DAs and, and prosecutors. So, but listen, you know, I lived in New York City for 15 years. New York City was one of the safest places there there was to live. Um, I think uh, Bloomberg started the decline because he politicized yeah. a lot of things that shouldn't have been, and then it went to de Blasio and it went off a cliff and then when COVID happened it's it's as if Satan moved into New York and made it his home so it just went terribly awry and when you look at this DA he falls right in line with everything else I mean you look at Eric Adams you look at the the nonsense that he spewed and then he gets in there in in office and is somehow worse than de Blasio I don't know how that was possible but he makes worse decisions, has more rhetoric, uh, and so you have a DA that uh, is so soft on crime that it's almost as if he he is on the side of crime. And then uh, letting murderers out and reducing sentences for killers and drug dealers, and, and then this comes along, and it's 100% political, uh, and it's, uh, when you look at how the Democrats in general have treated Trump. 
since he announced that he was going to run for president in 2015, you look at all the things they've done, nothing stuck. They continue to really harass this guy and uh, totally just trash his constitutional rights the way they're, they're, they're continuously going after him. Uh, and then when you look at New York, they've been threatening him with something for years, years. Yeah, right. So finally they get something that they think is going to stick. Every legal scholar out there says, this is ridiculous. And um, I can't tell if they're blind by the power or if they are blind because they have such a hatred for former President Trump. I, I don't know which one it is or if it's just arrogance or if it's a mix of all of them. Yeah, and I think there's some strategy there that we'll see how that strategy plays out. But I, I do... Uh, want to get your thoughts on where would you be spending your time if you you as someone who has been on lots of different sides of law enforcement uh, where do you think if you were in the Manhattan DA's office where do you think are the most immediate I know some of them are fairly obvious answers but I do want to hear from you as an actual expert in this regard uh, where should the focus be you mean about this case or just in general? No, 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 no. no. Instead of this case, like, well, what do you think are really, uh, where would you start if you're trying to clean up New York City right now? I'm guessing well, it's, not, it, it, it's not a Florida, it's not a Florida resident who is, you know, playing golf and running for president right now. Right. Well, you know, when it comes to New York, I think Rudy Giuliani showed that you start at the very bottom. You, you start, if you want to clean New York City up, you start with the broken windows laws and you start looking at petty crimes and putting a cop where it's the most dangerous, putting a cop on every uh, street corner and enforcing the laws. Um, of course, you know, they've made some of those laws obsolete in New York City. You can urinate uh, in public wherever you want in New York City, you know, things like that. When you, when you do these types of, of uh, arrests on people, um, things go at the very bottom. It's almost like setting a dinner table and you put the nice tablecloth on there. Uh, it, you change things. It, it makes it look nicer. And then things, society starts to change. When you skip all those things and you do nothing uh, to target actual crime, and then you, you show the public that you're going to go after something like this with President Trump uh, paying hush money to somebody, uh, what you end up doing is empowering all those criminals that consistently and constantly get away with what they want and saying, you're okay, we are only here for the power, and, and that's why we're here. We're not here to come down on you. You can do whatever you want, smoke your weed, urinate everywhere, murder people. We're not going to do anything about it. We're only concentrated on this, and this is to prove it. We're not going to do anything about you, but we're going to go and make uh, political mockery uh, of this. And so I think I think that's the signal it sends. If you wanted to come in and clean New York City up, that's what you'd have to do is concentrate on on those things and uh, do just exactly what follow Rudy Giuliani's playbook and how he cleaned it up. And uh, and I think so they're not interested in that. And I think not only not interested, but they're sending a clear a clear message to the criminals, just like when they did away with stop and frisk, they did not injure the criminals whatsoever with stop and frisk. They were protecting the people who live where the crime was the worst. You take that away and now the people that are in that live in those areas that are good people, you injure those people. 
And that's the same thing they're doing here. They're just broadcasting a message to everyone. You know what's very interesting with stop and frisk uh, is the the uh, looking at the policy itself. It was mostly effective, it appears, uh, and it was you know Bloomberg the way he talked about it. He always spoke about it in very racist terms. Like he always spoke about it as we are going to target the black people because they're the criminals. Like he literally that's that's how he spoke about it, which is uh, amazing because. The policy benefited black people, but Bloomberg's messaging was so bad on it that it went away. And it, it feels like if someone who was actually a more skilled politician than Bloomberg, who actually was has a lot of um, uh, he, he's even though he was mayor of New York three times, he's has really bad instincts politically a lot of the times. And a, a better spokesperson probably could have kept the policy and it could have ended up helping the city a lot. Right, but see, people like Bloomberg, who because he's rich, he was good at one thing. He came up with one good idea, and that made him rich. People believe that money equates to to knowledge and wisdom, and that is yeah. not the case. Because somebody figures, I mean, look at Mark Zuckerberg. You know, because somebody figures out something, one thing, and they do that really well, doesn't mean that they know everything else. Um, in contrast, you look at somebody like Elon Musk. You know, who is very intelligent. Um, and does know a lot of different things, and you can you can see a difference there. You don't see somebody who's quite as power hungry, but you see somebody who, who is intelligent and has uh, a, an aim of making things work. And so, when you look at Bloomberg, the mistake New York made was uh, was thinking that he was smart enough to run a city, and so then he makes terrible polit- uh, political decisions because he's not that bright. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, and then when you look at these individuals that are in there now, when when a void is created by somebody who's dumb, like Bloomberg, what, what ends up happening is that the people who fill that void are nefarious. They're, they're, there's always going to yeah. be bad people. And you, you want to look, as a good example of what happened in New York, look at all the wars that the United States has been in, where we went over to Iraq and removed a dictator, and then we were in a war for 20 years, same thing with Afghanistan. Um, you know, we, we removed dictators, and then the area that those dictators were in collapses because we don't do anything to fill that void. And that's what happened in New York. You remove a law like stop and frisk, you open a, a, a void, and it's, it then gets filled with criminals. And in the case of, the, of uh, these weird... Uh, DAs around the United States, this is all by design. You, you take somebody who, or you take people who enforce the law properly, the police, you get rid of those people, and then you, you recruit even worse people, and you take DAs who actually had some punch and actually stopped things, get rid of those people, and fill that void with criminals like Bragg. So this is the same thing that's played out over and over again. And you can see in New York City, they, they really don't care about truth and morals and family and New Yorkers. They, New Yorkers are the last thing on their mind. What they're concerned with is power and uh, a, a ravenous hatred of Donald Trump. It appears it's the most important thing to them. Um, let, me, let me ask you, Jonathan, about the shooting in Tennessee. Um, and uh, I want to get your thoughts on it, and then I, I've got some specifics, but you're a attack survival expert. 
uh, I'm sure there are things you saw here that disturbed you that were feelings of the, uh, in the system, but I want to hear from you, your reaction. Uh, what, what went wrong so that the shooting took place? What went right so that it got stopped quickly, especially relative to something like, like, like Uvalde? Well, I'll tell, I tell you exactly what, what I always talk about in my books and uh, in my workbooks that go along with it is that if you want to attack something or if you want to make yourself safer, you first have to look at yourself from the attacker's point of view. And I want you to think about this. This girl did a threat assessment on multiple schools. She did what's called the target package. She looked at all these areas from the attacker's point of view, and then she chose the one. I mean, she says it, I guess, in her manifesto that we haven't seen. She says that she targeted multiple schools, but this one was the most vulnerable, so that's the one she hit. So that's the number one thing. This school never did a threat assessment. If they did, they would not have had glass doors in the front. They just thought that there's no way we could ever be attacked. So that's a mistake that happens all day, all the time throughout this country, is that schools believe that they'll never be the one that gets attacked, so they just don't do a threat assessment. And if you don't look at yourself from the attacker's point of view, you're never going to understand who would attack you, why they would attack you, uh, the avenue of approach, when it would happen, and how it would be carried out. They don't look at those things. So uh, it was not hard, and I had a kind of an argument or dispute with the former commissioner of uh, the Boston Police Department because uh, he started to go down this road about guns and about uh, how, you know, uh, long guns and certain long guns didn't need to be on the street and this, that. And the fact is, if I'd done a threat assessment with the objective of killing and being killed, I could have went into that school with a rock to gain access into those uh, into those front doors and a knife, and I could have killed just as many people because that school was not ready. It had no preparation. So uh, that's the first thing I saw that was really bad that actually allowed this to happen. And I think schools should start being sued if there's cases like they have glass front doors or in the case of Uvalde where they had uh, the uh, door unlocked, so on and so forth. And then the police department. Now, here's what happened. Well, let me add one other thing that happened bad. And I've caught sure. a lot of flack for this, for saying this. Um, it's not a criticism of the officers that went in there, but 14 minutes is way too long, uh, especially for a major metropolitan area like Nashville. That is way too long for the police to arrive on scene of an active shooter. You know, it, it used to be 90 seconds to three minutes was the reaction time for them to get the call and for officers to be dispatched and start arriving. And uh, somehow that's fallen out of 14 minutes. So that's tremendous. That's a lifetime. That's multiple lifetimes. However, once these officers showed up, uh, you can tell that they've been trained under stress. So whoever's doing the training, uh, whether they took it upon themselves to train or whether the department's training them, these officers knew how to shoot, move, and communicate. They knew how to do that using violence of action, which is controlled violence. And uh, they went straight to uh, the uh, the threat and eliminated it. And they used what's called a hall boss, where one guy's in charge of moving the train that goes through. So you saw him guiding them, pushing them at times, keeping the train going in the direction it should. And the, the guys that were 
were actually working the train were moving with lightning speed that you you were supposed to have in an active shooter situation where you move towards the shooter. And that's what they did. They didn't methodically search every single place on the bottom right. floor. They, it, they, they diverted, put somebody there to hold that, that space, and went up there and continued moving towards the shooting. And I'm actually very, and I'm very happy that you made both of these points because it seems like I, I I was reading the timeline the day after on the air and it just felt like way too long to me. But then we all watched the security footage after Uvalde where it took forever for the cops to get there and then they stood there, uh, you know, rubbing hand sanitizer in their hands for 45 minutes or whatever it was uh, until they right. finally went in. And so this was a miracle compared to that. So so we're all thrilled. But again, we should be raising the bar here because this is happening a lot. It's not going to stop anytime soon. Uh, and so it, what are we doing to make sure that we're really excellent in terms of our preparation? And I think we should be demanding excellence, not demanding anyone better than Uvalde is, you know, automatically that's that's a that's a heroic thing. Um, even though, of course, these cops were were, were heroes, but I, I want to look at the, those who shot the monster. But I do right. I do like the idea of trying to raise the bar even more. So, what are your recommendations for people who are in the audience who have kids in school who are concerned about their security? Uh, what are the things that they should be doing to put pressure on their schools or law enforcement, et cetera, to make sure that uh, they're keeping things as safe as possible? Well, I mean, if you have a school board that will listen, and that's the problem we have across the country is we have school yes. boards that don't listen. Um, but they do seem to react when lots of parents show up. And uh, school boards are, by and large, perfect examples uh, on a micro scale of what's happening in New York with these DAs or across the country with these DAs is that school boards are led by people who have no understanding of how to keep your children safe. No, no understanding. Right. They're, they're not. They also have no understanding about what's best for their health. So, uh, unfortunately, these are the people that you have to deal with. And the best way to deal with them is in mass, massive numbers of people coming out and saying you have to do this. And just as important as uh, having a good education for your child is also keeping them safe and ensuring that they will grow up to actually use that education. I can guarantee you, Alex, that the, most of the schools across the country that have done threat assessments have not done threat assessments on their school buses and the school bus routes. So as, a, as an attacker and a security specialist, I look at all those things. If I'm tasked to do a threat assessment on a school, I will look at the school. I'll ask, why would I attack this school? What was my avenue approach? When, where? how and why would I be motivated to attack this school? And then I would not just, I would say, what are the other things that I could do to injure the critical asset of the school, which is the children and the staff? So there's multiple places where they're vulnerable. And if you understand this as a parent, if you go the next time you drive to the school, ask yourself, well, why would I attack the school? When would it be? Uh, where would it be, uh, what would my avenue approach, and how would I carry it out, and why? And you'll start to develop a picture yourself, uh, and as you walk around the school, take your kid and drop them off, you'll start to see, well, I could enter here, I could do this type of attack, it'd be very, uh, very useful. And then if you're a staff member, you can do that. If you're a bus driver, you can do that. 
and you need to start thinking this way. And then when you approach the school board, you can say, I'm no security expert, but it took me a day and I did my own threat assessment. And this is what I believe. And if every parent does that, it's not going to cost them anything. It's not going to take any extra effort. Just ask the question, if I was going to attack, how would I do it? When is the best time to get the bang for my buck? What's yeah. my avenue of approach? And then when you when you approach a school board with this type of, of an understanding, they might be more likely to do the threat assessment. Because I'll tell you, it's one of the things. I, I could teach every staff member in every school in this country in two hours in a Zoom meeting. I could teach all of them how to do a proper threat assessment. They could go back and do it. Then it would be up to the schools to make those changes. But teaching somebody how to do the threat assessment is not hard. I just I never have anybody pick me up on that. I've offered that over and over again for for an affordable fee to do every single staff member in every school how to do a threat assessment and how to be aware. It, it would be that easy. Then they have to implement the changes, though. Yeah, and it's the standard. It really, if the school board, I mean, to encourage them, it's the so long as they don't have the least safe school in the area, then they're probably going to be able to keep their kids safe. It, it the bar has to only be at a certain level. I mean, of course, we want the most. It's a and Jonathan, you've mapped out just very comprehensive plans for people so that they can keep every aspect of their life as safe as possible. But if you think about it, if you're one of these uh, angry young shooters who are just trying to get their name in the paper being murderous, then uh, you're just going to look for the softest target possible. So just make sure your school is in the softest target and you're probably going to be okay. And that feels like that minimal level of effort should be automatic, and yet it's not. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, when we do these threat assessments, we do see things like uh, Marsha, Senator Blackburn in Tennessee, and uh, her fellow uh, senator there, how they came up with um, uh, a way to pay for uh, veterans, military veterans, and former law enforcement to be armed safety officers in schools. Um, They've come up with a way to pay for that. I don't know if they have the specific plan. But they literally have thought about this, considered it, and said it can be done, and they're proposing this this act. I mean, that is where you start with things like that, and you push those forward so you can you can fund them, and then people will be more likely to say, well, we could we could actually do this. Um, but but ultimately, here's here's the thing, Alex. I believe that all the short shooters that we've had uh, recent well recently, and I, we can go back all the way to Columbine, they are products of the education system. So it's no different than if you, yeah. you know, raised your child to be a serial killer and then they killed you. That's exactly what's occurring. So it's yeah. very, it's a very interesting situation um, where the schools are creating a threat and then they're not uh, doing a threat assessment to guard against the very threat that they created. Yeah, a very good point. Jonathan Gilliam, uh, anything I can plug for you today, aside from Sheep No More, which everyone should read? They should go get it and uh, and uh, <laughs> and make these changes. Yeah, yeah and also you'll, plug you'll, the fact that plug the fact that I could do this threat assessment uh, training for everybody around the other country. Yeah, how do people I contact you? Because I know there's some people in the audience who are wealthy and powerful and probably could benefit from some direct contact with you. Not to say that it doesn't benefit everyone, but I'm saying that the people could afford yeah. it. Uh, they could uh, contact me at Jonathan at JonathanTGilliam.com. 
that's it. I have a website, and they can uh, contact me through that. And um, it's it's really that simple, Alex. This is not rocket science. Otherwise, uh, a confused uh, 28-year-old carrying multiple guns for some reason instead of magazines can walk into a school and shoot people up or like in Uvalde, uh, sit there for, for 40 minutes while police linger in the hallway. Um, it's not rocket science, but in order to defend against it, somebody has to take the lead and show people how to look at themselves from the attacker's point of view. Well said. Thanks, Jonathan. Always appreciate the time. You got it, buddy. Have a great day. You too. Be right back. I'm American made. I got American parts. All right, that's today's show. We thank Zach Jones for putting it together. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics for the opening. And all of you who share our content all over the web, we appreciate you very much. And thanks for listening. I got stuff.